All right, will you pray with me, please? Father, we come uh, to you this morning, and uh, I just want to ask that you will bless us with your presence here as we talk about an issue and a subject that is so vitally important, that is so needed. Lord, I pray that your spirit will be present and will work. I pray that you will help me today to speak as a dying man to dying men. I pray, Lord, that our uh, men and our fathers in particular, Lord, will have ears to hear what you have to say to them from your word today. Lord, I want to pray for um, our families that are represented specifically in this service. We want to pray that you will do a wonderful and mighty work, Lord. We, We pray that this will be much more than just a Father's Day celebration and message, but it will be the beginning of a great work that you do in the families in our church, in our church as a whole, in our community, and even in our world. Lord, there is just an unknown capacity for what could possibly happen if you would grab the hearts of men and turn them towards their wives and their children and ultimately towards you about what you could potentially do. So Lord, we want to pray that uh, you will work. I pray that all my words may be filtered through your word and your spirit. And I pray that you will be greatly exalted and praised through what we do and what we talk about this morning for your sake. Amen. All right, if you take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, we'll get there in just a moment as you're turning. I want to make a few notes here uh, as you begin. First of all, my message this morning is almost solely going to be directed to men, and in particular men who will be or are, or are fathers, okay? Now that uh, will uh, include many people here today, but a lot of you that are not in that kind of category. And so I just want to say to you, there are a lot of things that you can get out of this message as well, if you will listen closely, and I would even ask that as we go along that you be praying that God would use this in the men and the fathers in particular in their lives as we study here this morning. The second thing that I need to note is that I am coming to you this morning more from weakness than from strength, okay? What I'm going to talk about, I do not have all figured out. Okay, and uh, I am no, not perfect at this. Got a lot, a lot of work to do uh, on my own, and uh, just even to share with you how that is the case. Uh, proceeding these couple of weeks as we've been preparing for this message, I've asked my kids uh, for some examples or for some stories that I could share to be an encouragement and to help uh, today. And uh, to my dismay, okay, to my dismay, they all agreed unanimously that I needed to tell you the milk story. Okay, so you're interested in hearing the milk story this morning? I would be more than happy to pass by it, but uh, maybe just to encourage you by my sin, I will uh, share that with you uh, here this morning. Uh, back uh, many, many years ago, I was still in my 20s and uh, had a full head of hair. And um, my daughter, my oldest daughter, who will become a teenager here in a uh, couple of months, uh, was I think about four years old. And one morning she was having a really, really rough morning. We all have these kind of mornings from time to time, but she was whining about everything, okay? And if there's one thing that Chris Carr cannot stand is I cannot stand whining, okay? You can even ask anybody here on staff or here at the church that knows me and they will tell you I hate, hate whining and we do not allow it uh, in our home. But she was having a really, really rough day. She didn't want anything that I gave her. She was just crying and whining and fussing. And so finally I took her a, a glass of milk, cup of milk uh, for her to be able to, to drink and maybe that would make her happy. But that seemed to only agitate the problem. And she started whining, whining more. And I just got, honestly, I just got pretty angry and frustrated. And when she started whining, I took my hand and I, I, I basically just knocked the cup of milk all over the place in anger. I really, I, I did that. And the milk just went everywhere. Now, you may know this, but milk cleans up off of tables and it cleans off of the floors pretty well, but it doesn't clean off of ceilings very well, okay? In fact, you know what ceil- uh, milk does to ceilings? Have any guess? It stains them. It stains them. And here's where another one of my weaknesses came in. I'm not exactly one of those Bob Vila kind of home repair, kind of take care of the house kind of thing. It's not really uh, my strength, okay? And so that milk stain, or milk stains, I guess they were, stayed there for a long, long time. And the problem with that is, is that my children and my wife loved to point that out to me regularly as a mark of my sin and my weakness. In fact, we haven't lived in the house for a year and a half, and they still bring it up on a regular basis. And so maybe today, just by Sharing that, they will let it go, I will let it go, and we will find healing in the car house. So somehow I doubt that. Uh, Somehow I doubt that. Now, 
I honestly wish that that was the only example of failure I have um, in leading my family, but uh, there are many more that we could share, and I'm sure that my uh, kids will be glad to share those with you after the service. However, at the same time, I, I really am glad and thankful to the Lord that I've had the privilege to see all four of my children profess faith in Christ. I've had the opportunity to baptize two of them. I hope that I will have the privilege to baptize the other two uh, in the years to come. And more importantly, I can see evidence of God's work and the Holy Spirit working in their lives and growing them in the faith. And so this morning, I am not going to share from you with a lot of wisdom. I've been a, been a husband and a, um, I've been a father for almost 13 years now. And I'm sure in 10 years from now, I'll have a lot more that I can share with you. So what I'm going to try and do this morning is I'm going to try and point you to Scripture mostly and then share a few of the things that I have learned along the way as well. So we want to begin with this question. We want to begin with this question. What does spiritual leadership in the home look like? What is it supposed to look like? And for that, we want to turn to Scripture, and I want to share with you three realities, okay? Three realities of leadership in the home. Number one is that spiritual leadership is a father's responsibility. Spiritual leadership is a father's responsibility. Look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right... Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, parents, we love Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, don't we? We love to even hammer our kids sometimes with this. We even love to tell them, you're supposed to obey me. God's word says you're supposed to obey me. And if you don't, you're going to die early. Okay? We, 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 we like to use that. Okay? Obey me or die. All right? We love, we love that. But we have to realize parents, that children aren't born naturally obedient and respectful, are they? If so, every newborn that is born would sleep when their parents sleep, they would take naps when they're supposed to take naps, and they would obediently and respectfully and quietly let their needs be known. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never met a child like that. Never. They are not born that way. If they are going to be obedient and respectful and honor the mother and father and follow the Lord, they have to be taught how to do so. They have to be taught how to do so. So look at verse 4. How does that happen? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now you need to get this, okay? It is not the school system's responsibility to teach your children how to be respectful and obedient. It is not grandma and grandpa's responsibility. It's not the daycare worker. In fact, it even says here, it's not primarily the mother's responsibility. The primary responsibility for instructing children is the father. Many need to listen to this today. Scripture very clearly tells us in the Old Testament and here in the New Testament that the responsibility for training and raising our children to know the Lord is Ours, and that one day we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for that. If it's going to happen, it needs to happen from the Father. Now, that's reality number one. But how about reality number two, which comes into play with this? And that is spiritual leadership is hard. Spiritual leadership is really, really, really hard. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, It's harder to lead a family than to rule a nation. It's harder to lead a family than to rule a nation. And while I've never ruled a nation, I can agree that this proverb is absolutely true. I've had the privilege to be here at Bethel about the same time that I have been a parent, a little bit shorter, but about the same amount of time. And I can tell you this, that I've had the privilege and the opportunity to lead lots and lots of people, lots and lots of ministries, lots and lots of things. And while church ministry is not easy, compared to trying to lead my family spiritually, it is a piece of cake, okay? It is a piece of cake. Part of that has to do with the grace of God, of course, and the wonderful people here at Bethel Church. But I have to tell you that spiritual leadership in the home is extremely, extremely hard. I can have a great day. In fact, I could take one of you... And many of you I have and sit down with you and talk to you about your marriage and I can talk to you about your children and I can talk to you about what you need to do and I'm, I can be pretty good at diagnosing your issues, okay, and helping you out. And then I could drive home, walk in the door, thinking everything's great, I've got it all figured out and five minutes later I feel like the biggest failure in the entire world. That's the reality. And I know that, that some of you think that because I'm a pastor, the spiritual leadership in the home thing comes pretty easily. Uh, it doesn't. 
it does not come easy at all. And I wanted to this morning, I just want to analyze a little bit with you. Why is it so hard and why is it so difficult? I think we need to understand the reality of why that is the case. And there are many reasons, but I want to share with you two. We have, as men in particular, we have two major enemies that fight against us being spiritual leaders in our home. The first one is the devil himself. Look at uh, 1 Peter 5, 8. Notice what Peter says. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know who I've become convinced that his number one target is? His number one target is dads. It's dads. Husbands and dads. You say, why is that the case? Because in my experience, I have found that if the devil can get the dad, he will get the wife and the children as collateral damage most of the time. We see that happening all the time. And so he goes after the dad knowing that he will get the family as well. And then we need to realize that the devil wants to destroy our families. Do you guys realize that? Do you get that? That the devil is absolutely intent on destroying your families. And the number one way he will go about it is by going after you. Let me just bring this home for you here this morning. I want you to imagine that... um, that tonight, you know, you know that tonight there are going to be a group of guys who are going to break into your house intent on doing serious damage and physical harm to your wife and children. I ask you this question. What are you going to do about it? I imagine that you would do something, right? Call the police. You might uh, evacuate your family. Or you might do what I would do, and that would be to be sitting on my couch with my 12-gauge shotgun ready to take care of the problem. Anybody with me there? You with me, guys? Okay. All right. Yeah. Go ahead. Sure. All right. You've played into my hands now. Thank you. If that is the case... How much more should we be on guard and how much more should we be willing and able and ready to fight against the enemy who not only wants to do our family physical harm, but wants us, wants to do eternal spiritual harm. Yeah, we like to, well, yeah, I'll take care of my family. All right. Nobody's going to harm my family. Well, let me tell you guys, there is the biggest enemy ever wants to destroy your family. And if you're not on guard, you're not sober minded, you're not watchful, you're not taking precautions. He will, he will ruin your family. And the question today is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? We'll talk about specifically how to do that. But for right now, we want us to commit. We want the men of our church to commit to caring for their family spiritually and to fighting against the devil. Of course, the devil works in tandem with another one of our enemies, and that is our self. By nature, we as men are sinful, lazy, spiritually apathetic, okay? And I'm saying that about myself as well, but just by our nature. And if you don't believe me, you just need to understand that this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. I want to take you back all the way to the beginning, okay? Genesis chapter 3. We all know what happened in Genesis chapter 3 called the fall. Eve ate the fruit, Adam ate the fruit, and fell into sin, and it's been devastating for all of us ever since, but we tend to focus on who, eat the, who ate the fruit, by the way, first. You can say it. Eve, okay? Eve ate the fruit first. She was the first one to sin. Okay? However, here's a question for you. Where was Adam when Eve was sinning? Yeah. Well, what was he doing? Nothing. He was doing nothing. You see, Adam was called to be Eve's protector and Eve's leader. And yet while she was being tempted by the serpent, Adam sat there and watched and sinfully and selfishly allowed her to do it rather than stepping in and saying, no, 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 if you do this, it's going to be devastating. And ever since, men have had the same issue of standing by and watching their families, their wives, their children go into sin, the devil to tempt them, and it's been devastating. And we need to understand, guys, that if we're going to succeed where Adam failed, we are going to have to do things that are against our nature, that go against the grain, that are hard to do. By the way, that's part of what it means to be a man. It means that you do things that are hard. 
If it wasn't hard, anybody could do it. And it wouldn't really be an issue. Spiritual leadership is hard. And part of being a man means that we do hard and difficult things. Things that we don't naturally want to do. So, let me modify this though with reality number three. Reality number three is this. Is that while it's hard, spiritual leadership provides an incredible opportunity. It provides an incredible opportunity. I can get excited about this, and I hope that you will as well. Look at Psalm 128 with me, okay? I've got it up here on the screen, so you can just follow along. Great Psalm, one to meditate on. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Now let me explain to you what olive shoots and fruitful vine are here, okay? Because you don't normally picture your wife as a fruitful vine. Any of you sit around the table and think, man, my wife is a really fruitful vine today, okay? The, the, uh, or your, your children even more. And what's an olive shoot? Well, the picture here is this, is that fruitful vine means that she is like wine that brings joy, Okay, she's joyful, and the children are olive shoots, which, which means that they are full of energy and full of promise, and they have a bright future ahead of them. And so the picture here is of a family where the wife is joyful, and the kids are energetic, and things are going good and full of promise. Now, there's an old saying. You can help me out with this. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Okay? We kind of joke around that. It's true, and the opposite is even more true. If mama is joyful, everybody else tends to be joyful. And I also know with my children that when my children are energetic and they're, they're full of promise and they're living, up to, uh, they're living up to expectations and living up to what they can live up to and they're doing well, I am a pretty happy and joyful man and the home and things are working as they're supposed to work. Okay? And that's what God, by the way, desires for the Christian home to be, is one that where there is joy, joy and energy and promise and the future looks bright. But here's the point. How do we get there? Because I, I have to believe that all of you men, let me speak to the men, want a joyful wife, would love to have a joyful wife, and you want kids who are full of promise and living up to expectations and they are, they are, their, their future is bright. Everybody wants that. How do we get there? Well, the psalmist would say that it comes and it begins with a man who fears the Lord. The way that we get to a joyful home with a joyful wife and promising children begins with a man fearing the Lord, walking with the Lord, and then leading his wife and his children to walk with the Lord as well. That's the biblical model. Sometimes we want to complain that our wives aren't joyful and the wives aren't happy and the kids are miserable. When the reality is, is that we're not walking with the Lord and leading them to walk with the Lord, which will lead to blessedness and a happy and joyful home. I want to press this a little bit more because I really believe that the opportunity of fatherhood is lost on many of us and is lost in the culture in which we live. I really do not believe that most men have any idea how much of an impact they have on their children in particular. We have no idea what an opportunity God has put before us to lead our children and to instruct them in the Lord and to see them blossom which will in turn be blessing on our home. We really have no idea. I know the Bible actually tells us this clearly. If you read the Old Testament, by the way, just read the Old Testament. Look at the nation of Israel. When the fathers followed the Lord, the families followed the Lord, the nation followed the Lord, there was blessing. When the fathers wandered, the families wandered, the nation wandered, and there were curses and uh, discipline from the Lord. Worked in the Old Testament, it is still working today. And I want to share with you this morning, really a devastating reality. It's a devastating statistic that relates to a devastating reality. And that is this, is that current church evangelical, or evangelical church research will show that we are losing about 80% of our teenagers. 80%. Church research would show that of the children in our youth ministry, 
junior high and high school, that by the time that they are sophomores in college, they will have, 80% of them will have left the church for good. We've got lots of teenagers in here. We might have a, a hundred or so teenagers in here. That basically means that in 10 years from now, there will be 20 of them who are still walking with the Lord. I want you to think about what that means for the future, their future, their family's future, and the future of the church, and the future of the faith in America. You know what that means, right? That means in a couple of generations, there will be no more church, so to speak, as, as we speak of today, if we don't do something about it. Now, hopefully that's not true here at Bethel, but we need to have an understanding that we face the same reality as well. That most kids, once they get to college, want nothing more to do with the faith that they were raised in. So why is that the case? What's going on there? I want to tell you that our children's ministry and our student ministry are working on that, praying about that, and trying to figure out what the issues are. But we are convinced here's the number one issue. The number one issue relates directly to the involvement of their dads in their spiritual lives. Because there are other statistics will show a direct correlation between their father's attendance when they were children and their attendance when they get to college. Now, I hope that I'm not being too confusing here. I don't want to throw a bunch of statistics with you. But here's the reality. Is that if a, if a, if a child's dad is faithful in church attendance when they are growing up, that child will more than likely continue to go to church when they are an adult. And if their dad is irregular in attendance or doesn't go to church when they are a kid when they are growing up once they get into college they will stop going forever there's a direct correlation those two things are tied together and i realize that what i'm going to say now is very politically incorrect and may offend some of you here but the reality is is that a father has a much more significant impact on a child's walk with the lord than the mother does You'll see lots of kids get tattoos of mom on their arm and all that kind of stuff, okay, and all over the place. Because they love mom and have a close relationship with mom. However, when a child is trying to determine whether or not religion, things of the Lord will be important with them, they look much more to their dad than they do to their mom. And if you don't believe me, just go out and do the research. I'll be glad to share that with you. But here is the reality, guys. It's not about church attendance. We're not really that big on church attendance. Although, by the way, just make a note to you here. If you were to see our attendances on Mother's Day and Father's Day, they are drastically different. There are hundreds, hundreds more people here on Mother's Day than on Father's Day. You know why that is? Because on Mother's Day, moms want their children to go to church with them. And on, on Father's Day, dads want them to go golfing or to a baseball game or have a barbecue in the backyard. It's all, I mean, it's there. They're facts. There's nothing that can be disputed about those two things. And here's the issue. Church attendance really isn't the issue. It's not really a marker of whether someone is walking with the Lord or not. But here's the opportunity of it, guys. Here's the opportunity. If something just as simple as going to church every weekend can significantly impact your children for their entire life spiritually, think about what kind of an impact you can have if you intentionally develop your children spiritually. Can, can, do you get the picture? Am I, am I in any way trying to get this picture across to you guys here? That if just simply going to church means that your children will be the more than likely to follow the Lord, think about what might actually happen if you intentionally disciple them to know and to walk with the Lord. I think about this a lot. I really do. I think a lot about the men of our church. I think a lot about the dads of our church, the families of our church. Pray about this a lot. I just have to say, there are, there are times when I actually dream about what could potentially happen here if we had a couple hundred of our dads who became passionate, passionate about leading their wives and leading their children to walk with the Lord. How our church would be incredibly different. How our community would be incredibly different. How our world be, would be incredibly different. Can you imagine what might happen uh, in, in, in our public school system here in Northwest Indiana if we have hundreds and hundreds, you know, we have like 800 children at Bethel Church. 800 children that are in public schools all across Lake and Porter County. What could happen if dads, all of our dads intentionally discipled those children and those children went out and they were countercultural children in the public school systems 
And they began to win their friends. And through their friends, maybe we saw, saw their parents come to know the Lord. What an explosion of the church that could be in Northwest Indiana. And what could happen if families at Bethel were countercultural and they looked and lived a lot differently than the, the, the uh, families in the world. And we went out into our communities and our neighborhoods and we showed the glory of Jesus Christ through the way that we interact and relate with one another and the way that we care about the lost and the least in our community. What could happen? Can we get a vision for that, guys? We, we really have no idea how, how huge of an opportunity that we have. And it all begins with spiritually leading our families. So, let's ask how. Let's ask how. How do we do that? Okay, kind of laid out a picture for what it should look like, but how do we do that? I want to share with you now four P's, four principles for spiritual leadership in the home. Four principles for spiritual leadership in the home, and uh, they all start with P, so hopefully it'll be helpful to remember. The first one is this, is that we have to access the power of the gospel. We have to access the power of the gospel. Now, I need to make a note here uh, on this point that if you don't get this one, the rest of them don't matter. Okay, so if you don't get this point, the rest of them don't matter. If you don't get the gospel right, you can't get fatherhood right. If you don't get the gospel right, you can't get anything else right. So we've got to get the gospel right. And to do that, I want to look at Galatians chapter 4. So if you ever your Bible is open, turn it back one book to Galatians 4. It's probably like two or three pages. Galatians chapter 4. And we're going to just look at verses 1 through 7. Wonderful, wonderful passage, by the way. This is for everybody here, okay? You should just uh, to love to hear what Paul has to say from these seven verses. He says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Here's what Paul is telling us, guys. He's telling us that in order to be a godly father, we first of all have to understand what it means to be a son of God. If I am going to know and understand how I'm going to be a godly father, I first of all have to know and understand what it means to be a son, a child of God. And what Paul is telling the Galatians here is he is telling them about this wonderful aspect of the gospel called adoption. That we have been adopted into God's family. That at one time we were in slavery. Scripture clearly tells us that we were slaves. We were slaves to those elementary principles which includes sin, the devil, and the world. We were in complete bondage and slavery to them. But at just the right time, at the very perfect time, God sent his holy, righteous, perfect son to this earth, took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again, and by that he frees us, he uses the term redeem, redeems us off the slave market, takes us from slavery, makes us free, and not only makes us free, but he adopts us into his family, makes us his sons and daughters, and then on top of that, he makes us an heir. One of his heirs. And here's a great, wonderful truth, by the way. This is just a side note for you. This is extra. Okay? We're heirs. Heirs of what? Well, we're heirs of God. What does God own? Everything. What do we own? Everything. Do you know how wonderful and sweet and rich that is? That means that no matter how poor or wealthy you are today, you're the wealthiest person in the entire world. Because you have everything in Christ. We are heirs of him. Now... I want to make a special note, though, of some of the inheritance things that we have. Specifically, we have this. We have an eternal relationship with a father. We have forgiveness of our sins in the past. We have freedom from the power of sin in the present. And we have an empowerment through the Spirit to be all that God desires us to be in the future. And here's what I would like to do. I want to try and apply this morning the truth of the gospel, the truth of this adoption into every one of our fathers who is here this morning. Okay? First of all, there are some of you here today who have no potential to be godly fathers right now. You can't be a godly father. And here's why you can't be a godly father. You can't be a godly father because you're not a son of God yet. 
You're not a son of God yet. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, this godly father thing will be elusive and you will never grab onto it until you recognize that Christ died for your sin. He came here to free you from it and you repent and turn to him in saving faith. And I just want to tell you that there would be no greater Father's Day gift to you than to receive the ultimate gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And if you would like to do that today, need someone to talk to or, or help you out, I'll be down here. There will be, be other pastors and other leaders from the church. We'd love to talk to you and share with you more about that most wonderful relationship. Second, there are those of you here today who do not think that you can be a godly father. You know the Lord. You are a Christian. You are a son of God. But you are convinced because of the mess that you have made of your life, okay, or some sin in the past or some issue that you have, some children that are away from the Lord or your family is out of control, you're convinced that you cannot be a godly father. Just to say it cannot happen. And I want to tell you here this morning that if you are listening to that lie, you are listening to a lie from the very pit of hell itself. That there is nothing that God cannot do, including making you and your family whole and new in a Psalm 128 family. In order to do that, you might have to realize that that sin and the struggle that you have had in the past and maybe even in the present, God has forgiven you for the Old Testament tells us that when we trust in faith by Jesus, in Jesus Christ, that he takes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He remembers it no more. He buries it. It's gone, and it's, a, and it's in the past. And if you are holding on to that sin and letting you drag it down, you need to today put it behind you. If God doesn't hold it against you, why are you holding it against yourself? Let it go. Let it go. If you need to repent, repent of it. If you confess your sins, it's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to move forward. Don't let the past hold you down from what God has for you in the future. He has enabled and empowered you. He's made you new. Cling on to that. Hold on to that. And by faith in Jesus Christ, take the gospel, access it, and use it to begin to see yourself and your family transformed today. Then there are those of you who are like me, who you need to hear, that Christ died to free you from slavery to sin, sinfulness, sinful selfishness, and spiritual apathy. There are those of you who are struggling, you know what you need to do, but you just can't do it. And the reason that you can't do it is because you are not by faith trusting in the power of the gospel and trusting for Christ to work through you. So grab onto the gospel, put that sin to death, and begin to lead your family as God has called you to lead your family. And then there might actually be a few of you here who think you've got this whole fatherhood thing worked out, okay? There probably are a few of us here. And if that is you, I feel the most sorry for you because you've got a hard road to hoe coming down the road, okay? Because uh, 1 Corinthians 12 says, take heed, let, if you think you stand, you will be falling, okay? If we're struggling here, if we're, if we're not realizing that it's hard and it's difficult, we need to understand the gospel and that we aren't here because of what we have done, but only by the grace of God. Let me finish here on this point by speaking to everyone, because undoubtedly there are many of you here who um, don't know what it means to have a godly father, men and women. Some of you didn't grow up with a father at all. Some of you grew up with a father who was cruel, cared nothing about God or you. Some of you grew up with fathers who were just completely absent in your life. And if that is you here today, you need to hear the truth from Galatians 4 that God can and will be for you everything that your earthly father was not. He will love you. He will care for you. He will lead you. He will wrap his arms around you and meet every need that you have. So turn to him and enjoy the fatherhood that only God can truly, truly give. You see that term there, Abba Father. We can call him Abba Father. That word Abba literally means Papa or Daddy. It's a term of endearment. And if you've not been able to call your earthly father that, you certainly can call your heavenly father that. And would encourage you to turn to him today. All right, that's the first P, access the power of the gospel. Let's get really practical now, okay? With the last three, we'll try to go through these relatively quickly. Number two, you need to make spiritual matters the priority in your home. Make spiritual matters the priority in your home. Now, note that I didn't say here a priority, but rather I said the priority, 
Okay, not a priority, the priority. I'm sure that all of us here today would say that spiritual matters are a priority in our home. Look, we came to church today. Okay, however, I'm talking about making it the number one priority. And I'm wondering if you were to take your iPhone or your Blackberry or your calendar out right now and look at the past month. Would you be able to say that spiritual matters have been the priority or maybe even a priority over the last month in your home? And I want to suggest to you, men, that spiritual matters need to be the number one priority in your home. Now, how do we do this? What does it look like? Well, first of all, it begins with you prioritizing your walk with the Lord. Back to what Steve talked about so well last week is that we need to make sure that we ourselves, men, are walking with the Lord. And the reason for this is is that you can't lead your family where you aren't going yourself. You can't lead your family where you aren't going yourself. So you have to begin by getting in the word and praying and walking with the Lord. And then once you, or as you are doing that, then you need to prioritize your family's spiritual walk for the Lord. Here's the second step. Okay? And this is going to be hard. Okay? I'm just going to tell you this is going to be a little uncomfortable. But men, we need to make our children's spiritual development our number one priority for them. I'll just put, put it to me, okay? My number one priority for my children needs to be their spiritual walk and spiritual development. And I'll just give you an example of how the Lord is working on me uh, in, in this part of my life. I love probably nothing more than to watch my kids uh, participate in some type of sports activities. Many of you do this as well, okay? And I'm not exactly one of those uh, crazy soccer moms, okay? Uh, but I can get close. I can get close. In fact, if you want to see my uh, spiritual sanctification in high gear, all you need to do is come to one of my uh, 10-year-old son's baseball games, okay? And just watch uh, watch me trying to uh, grow in the Lord. All right. And because, um, I get, uh, pretty intense. And when the coach doesn't play him where I think he should, or he doesn't get a call from the umpire that I think that he should, or he doesn't exactly do something the way that I've told him to do it, I can get a little more than agitated. Okay. And sometimes I can even get vociferous and I've even found myself at times getting angry. And in the last couple of weeks, I've just had this point where I'm going, this is not good. This is out of control. This is not the way uh, that it should be. Because I, I found myself being more passionate about how he does in a little, emphasis, little league baseball game than I'm concerned about how he is spiritually developing and walking with the Lord. You, you with me, parents, about how this can happen? It might not be sports. It might be academics. It might be in some other area of, our, of their lives. We can get much more passionate about some activity that they are doing rather than passionate about whether or not they are actually walking and developing in their relationship with the Lord. And let me just make a note. I say this lovingly. Your kid is not going to be the next Derek Rose, Brian Urlacher, or Olympic gold medalist. They are not going to be. Deal with it. Okay? Deal with it. They're unlikely to even get a college scholarship. Now, one or two of them, that, that, that's great. Okay? But there's, an old, there's a passage that Jesus said, What does it gain? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his own soul? Okay, and so we might just need to chill out on the training regiments and the practices at six o'clock in the morning, okay, and let the kids have a little fun and prioritize their spiritual development and their spiritual growth. Because at the end of the day, they may not be the Olympic gold medalist, but I do know one thing, they are going to stand before the Lord to give an account for their life. And they're not going to be able to say, well, you know what, I got a college scholarship and track. Doesn't do any good at the end of the day. What does good at the end of the day is whether or not they've known the Lord and they followed him and they have walked with him. And I'm telling you dads here today that you have a responsibility to point them and to lead them in the right direction. And it should be your primary, uh, primary priority for their lives. How do we do this? Well, the third P is we have to plan. We have to plan. Develop a simple plan for spiritual development in your home. Now I said simple here, um, because I don't think it has to be complex. But I do think it should be formal and informal. Let me go through this pretty quickly, okay? Because we've had some examples here of formal. What does formal spiritual development of your children look like? One, it looks like family worship. We had two examples of that here, okay, earlier. Family worship is where you sit down at specific times in your schedule 
reading the word, praying together, maybe going through a book together, but it's set aside time where you get together and you worship as a family. Now, by the way, just so so this is real simple, this might only be five or ten minutes. In fact, it's not even so much the content and what you talk about. It's simply that you are actually prioritizing and doing it. In our family, we don't do it very long. Okay, And the reason that we don't do it very long is because the longer it goes, the more aggravated that I get and the further out that we get about the discussions. Okay, I've got four intelligent kids who are very lively and lots of energy, and they will take the conversation in 150 different directions, and it's very difficult to rein everything in. Okay, So we just try to prioritize that we're going to try and do this and have these discussions. The second thing about formal worship is how are we going to be involved in the life of the church? Okay, And I just want to encourage you men that you need to sit down with your wife and you guys need to discuss how are we going to regularly be a part of the church? How are we going to prioritize that in our lives? We have the three E's. I will just point that to you here at Bethel. Exalt experience and engage. We would strongly encourage you to wrap your family's church life around those three principles. But I just want to say this. Pastorally for our church, it is pretty clear that there are a lot of people uh, that call Bethel Church their home that that first E, which we call exalt, corporate worship, even that one is somewhat optional. And I just want to say to you dads, and you need to listen to this, this is said out of love, but if going to church on the weekend is optional, then when your children get into college, it will be optional to them as well, and eventually they will stop going altogether. You should prioritize your life around spiritual matters, not your spiritual matters around your life. And I just want to say, by the way, guys, here's another thing that happens. Dads will send their kids to youth group on Thursday night or one on Wednesday night or even church on Sunday. And they'll be off playing golf or doing something else. And they're saying, well, my kids are getting it. That's what's the most important thing is. You got it all wrong, buddy. You got it all wrong. It begins with it being a priority for you. And if it's a priority for you, it will be a priority for them. If it's priority for them and not for you, eventually it will not be a priority for them at all. Bottom line. All right. There's also informal. Formal and then informal. And I just want to point you to a passage because we're running out of time. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So you should write this down, verses 4 through 9. Moses kind of lays out for the people of Israel uh, how the faith is passed along. How is the faith passed along from one generation to the next? And basically what he says is that you need to be talking about the things of the Lord in every opportunity that you have. As you eat, as you walk, as you talk, wherever you're going, you always need to be looking for opportunities to talk to your children and to pass the faith along for them. And I have to tell you, this is probably one of the primary things that you can do because in our culture and with our lives, especially if they're like uh, my life, things are really, really busy and having time where you can actually sit down for an extended period of time and go through scripture and have all this formal family worship is difficult. And so what we have to do is we have to take opportunities as they arise. So as we're driving, okay, if we're going to maybe even driving to church or driving to some event, or as we're sitting waiting for a doctor appointment, or as we're having dinner, okay, or whatever we are doing, we need to take the opportunities to instruct our children in having a biblical worldview and looking at situations and circumstances through God's lens and God's word. If my boys were here, you talk to them, they would tell you that I try to do this even on a regular basis during their sporting events. And it's not uncommon for me to actually go and to pull one of my sons apart from what's going on and to say, okay, let's talk about what's going on right now. Because I realize that that, that, that moment is gone and who knows when I'll have the chance to talk to them about it. Point, point in case, last year, my son, a nine-year-old football uh, team, okay, he, he had the opportunity to be in the championship game. And at the halftime of the championship game, they were getting thumped. I think it was like 20 to nothing, okay? And as the kids were coming off the field, there were helmets being thrown, and there were tears being shed, and there were lots and lots of attitudes. And I'm up in the stands, and I said, okay, here's an opportunity. I got to go do something about this. And so I went down, and I pulled him aside, and we had a little father and son halftime pep talk, and we talked talked about how this is not the end of the world, this is not that big of a deal, but there is an opportunity here for you to be a leader, there is an opportunity for you to be a testimony, and there is an opportunity for you to learn through this. And so let's make the most of that opportunity. 
And I just want to encourage you, uh, men and ladies, there's a lots of these opportunities that come up. Don't ignore them. Take the opportunity, even if you don't have the right thing to say. All right, number four, here's the last B, is you need to pray. You need to pray. Now, I realize that some of you think I'm just throwing that on there because I need another P, okay? And you got to talk about prayer or you think I'm a heretic or something like that, okay? You got to pray for your kids. But I really do mean this and would actually suggest that this is the number one thing that you can do to lead your family spiritually is to pray. And the reason for that is, is at the end of the day, their relationship with the Lord is, is, is really that. It's between them and the Lord. And it's dependent upon God's work in their heart and in their life. And so you need to pray really hard for your kids. But first of all, I would actually encourage you to pray for yourself and pray for your own spiritual leadership. It's hard. It's difficult. So pray for empowerment. Obviously, you want to pray for your kids and be specific Okay, don't just say, hey, pray for, pray for Johnny that he will, he will have a great day. Okay? Pray for your kids' purity. I just want to make a note to you here, by the way, is that I don't think that most of our parent, most of the parents here have any idea the struggle that our kids have today with this issue. Most of us, and, and me included, grew up in a different day where it was a challenge, but it's nothing. They are inundated with it every second of every minute of every day with struggles for their purity. We need to pray for that. We need to pray for their future spouse. We need to pray for wisdom that they will make wise decisions. We need to pray that they will walk with the Lord. We need to pray that they will have wisdom for the future and what God has for them. And then lastly, you don't only want to pray for them, but you want to pray with them. And maybe this will be just helpful to some of you here. Now, don't, and this is not just like at meals and not just, the, you know, like before they go to bed. I would encourage you to pray with your kids at every opportunity that you have. Pray with them as you go to church on Sunday morning, Saturday night. Pray for them as you go. Pray with them after the service. Pray with them before a, before a baseball game. Pray with them before an activity. Pray with them before a test. Pray with them after they have an issue with their uh, siblings. Pray for them continually. Pray with them. Why? Because as they see you praying with them on a constant basis and in every situation, they will get the idea that this God thing is a pretty big deal. He can be, he can be trusted and he can be included in everything and in every situation. And eventually they will grow to realize that this needs to be a huge and significant part of my life as well. So pray. Here's the last thing I'm, I'm going to say in terms of uh, application. And this will tie all of this together. And, and Steve helped with this. He, he suggested this, and I think it's a good point. And that is, is that a little goes a long way. A little goes a long way. If you are overwhelmed in any way by this, I'm sorry for that. Don't be, okay? Don't be. All that we really want you to do, guys, is we want you to take the next step. So take the next step, whatever that may be. And I just want to say to you that a little bit will go a long way. And I can say that because... I have a personal story that I'm going to share with you that I hope will be helpful uh, for you. Um, God has used um, my father in my life in some significant ways, but there are two that stand out. I've had the privilege of having a dad who, um, who knows the Lord, who's known the Lord my entire life, my entire life. But there are two specific things that I can tell you that are rather simple, but are very significant in my life, in my walk with the Lord. They're this. They're the fact that my father has served the Lord for his entire life. Okay? Served the Lord for his entire life. I have watched that my entire life. Part of the reason that I stand here today as a 38-year-old man serving the Lord and hopefully serving you in some way is because I have seen my dad do that day in and day out for my entire life. And that has imprinted upon me a heart to serve him as well. The second thing is, is, and this is probably the most significant, and it comes down to a chair and a Bible. I'm having a hard time because he's in this service with me uh, right now. And I was fine the other two. Really, I was. Uh, trust me. But um, whew, I, this is unusual for me. Um, I know uh, in my parents' living room that there is a, a chair and there is a, a Bible and a table there. And I know that in that chair, uh, early every morning for the last 25 years, my dad has spent time in the Word with his God. And I know that on most of those days, if not every one of them, he has been praying for me. Amen. 
I was going to say that much. I was going to say that much better. But um, anyways, here's the point. God has used that. We didn't have big family devotion times uh, growing up, especially as a teenager. Um, but I know that God has used that Bible and that chair to change my life. And my question for you guys here today is, is how is God using you to change your children's lives? And grandpas, how is God using you to change your grandchildren's lives? How is he doing that? It doesn't have to be something big. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have a big church service every day or even every week. You simply have to be faithful, serve the Lord, and show your children that God is important to you. And if you do that, you will change your your children's lives. God will use it. He's faithful to do that. I'm going to conclude the service with this. We, we just want to, we want to promote godly male leadership at Bethel. And we would love and really want to actually start a movement of this here at the church. And I want to tell you guys that in order to be able to do this, you cannot do it on your own. We found over the years that when we talk about these things, that we've got to point men to other men. We've got to get you in relationship with other guys who are striving to do the same thing uh, that you want to do. And so I want to encourage you guys not to just make this a blip on the radar screen, but to actually take some steps. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. One of two things, maybe both, is you need to get into a small group. If you're not in a small group, guys, you need to get around other guys who want to follow the Lord and lead their families as well. If you try to do it the Lone Ranger approach, it probably will not work. So we want to encourage you to get into a small group. Or we want to encourage you to join what's known as a core group. And we started these about a year ago here at Bethel. And we've seen God work in some significant ways. But basically what core groups are, real simple, is they're groups of three or four guys that get together basically on a weekly basis. And they get together on a weekly basis to pray, uh, to read God's word, and to hold one another accountable. And if you're not in some kind of group like that, I'm just going to tell you right now, you need to be. I feel confident that you need to be. And if you want to do either one of these two things, there's a table in the commons. There's some great resources at the table. Go by, get some information, and get geared up with other guys. I actually got a picture here. You know what this is? We got that here? You could show that, Keith? I know I'm going long here. I'm going to finish up. You know what these are? Those are those stupid uh, birds that are all across northwest Indiana. They're called Canadian geese. Anytime you see Canadian geese flying, they fly in a V-shaped. And the reason they fly in a V-shaped is because they fly 70% faster together than they do uh, on their own. And so what I'm suggesting to you men is that we need to fly on this thing together. And I want to encourage you to step into that um, today. So will you stand with me, please?